Scripture reading will be in Mark, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Mark 9, 23 and 24. It reads, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Thank you. Maybe see you. Well, I'm very happy to be with you again tonight, and I'm very pleased with uh, uh, your presence as well. Thank you for being with us, and and thank you for these fine songs, Stan, leading us in this way, and for the prayers, the scripture reading. We're always very grateful for these men who lead us in prayer, and let me say it's certainly my privilege to be with you, my privilege to be able to preach the gospel, and it's certainly a privilege for me to be able to preach the gospel at the Broadway Church of Christ. I'm grateful for this fine audience that we have tonight, your interest in spiritual things and your interest in the Bible, that you would set aside the physical mundane things of life and be with us this evening, and I'm very grateful for that. I announced this morning that we would continue our lesson tonight and that that on the matter of doubt. And uh, someone asked me, said, well, can't you count any higher than five? And I said, be grateful I cannot, uh, because instead of five points, it could have been ten points. And so we'll just have five points tonight. Then another person asked me, how many points were in this sermon today? And I said, there are really only three points to this sermon. It's just that the third point has five subpoints, and that's why it's just a little bit longer than the others. We're talking about doubt, as we read from the scriptures tonight, Mark chapter 9. Here, this man, he, it wasn't that he didn't believe in Christ, he just had doubts. And he asked Christ, help me with my unbelief, help me with my doubts. And that's what we often say ourselves, help me with our doubts. Help us, because sometimes we do doubt. We doubt some of the fundamental things. One of the things that we talked about today is we put doubt under a microscope. The microscope uh, is simply a way of saying we want to analyze what doubt really is. That's always important to be specific about the definition of terms. You want to know exactly what we're talking about. Because you might have one thought in your mind about doubt, and I might have one thought in my mind about doubt, and the two not be together at all. We want to be together on what we're talking about. And doubt certainly is something that is uh, a part of our life, and it comes to us in various different ways. A lot of people have had doubt with regard to God and holy things throughout the scriptures, and we noticed a little bit about that. Sometimes we, we doubt because... We begin to think about these particular matters so much. So it's not unforgivable, and sometimes it is healthy. It's not always unhealthy. It can be unhealthy, but it's not always unhealthy. It can be unhealthy if we allow it to go unchecked, if we don't do something about the doubt. If we just allow the doubt to grow, it begins to overcome us and take control, and we can do something about that doubt. The doubts come from our own mind, which is a point that we were making this morning. We begin to think about things and analyze things. The reason we do that, thinking and analyzing in and of itself is not a bad thing. 
The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. But sometimes we begin to think about these matters because we don't understand or know why we believe what we believe. And sometimes we don't know what we believe. And this works doubt in our mind. Some of the doubt will come to us because of our emotions. And we will feel our emotions and be guided by our emotions. And our emotions are a God-given thing. They're a strong thing. We don't want to deny them, but we want to understand them. And understanding them properly means that we're not guided by our emotions, but we're guided by the Word of God. And it also tells us that our own will can cause us to doubt. We will decide for ourselves not to obey God's Word. And when we decide not to obey God's Word, then doubt's going to creep up in our mind. That's where it comes from, a failure to do the will of God and be submissive to God. And of this, I want to talk a little more about that in a moment. And then all of it comes from Satan. Doubt is created by Satan. He creates doubt in our heart and creates doubt in our mind, trying to get us to fall away from the Word of God. That's his goal. He wants our souls to be lost. And our souls will be lost if we do not come to obedient faith in Jesus Christ and remain faithful for the course of our life. And so this matter of doubt really becomes important. Sometimes we begin to doubt, and many times people have come to me, and they begin to doubt their salvation. They begin to doubt whether they were obedient to the gospel or not. And we go through the steps of salvation, which the Bible outlined for us. And sometimes people will say, well, I was baptized, but I don't know whether I really understood what I was doing, or I I don't know if I really know or knew at the time what I should be doing. And people begin to doubt uh, their salvation. They doubt their conversion to Christ. If there is something to doubt, then let's take care of that. Let's do something about it. Let's do what the Word of God tells us to do. Sometimes we doubt fundamental matters, like the plan of salvation, or we may begin to doubt the organization of the New Testament church, or because we haven't heard lessons on it or sermons on it or studied Bible classes on it, we begin to doubt maybe the deity of Christ or the existence of God or maybe the inspiration of the scripture. Or maybe we heard somebody that had very powerful speech, very powerful debater, or very powerful speaker, and it cast doubt on our beliefs and what we believe. Maybe it's someone who's very popular in the uh, academic world, and they're producing material on the matter of organic evolution, and they do such a, uh, a flamboyant job and such a professional-type job, we begin to think, well, you know, maybe there's something to this, doubt. Uh, Maybe what we've been told all this time is not exactly the way it is. Doubt. Uh, Maybe I need to go back and restudy this. That doubt motivates us to do something that's good, and that is to restudy the things which God has given us so that we can know with absolute certainty that there is a great God in heaven who is the creator of this world and the creator of my soul, that there is a Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on the cross for the sins of the world for my sins and for your sins and shed his blood and I can know that that the Bible is his holy and inspired word of God and there is no hesitation about saying that whatsoever and that we can know that there is a New Testament church which that Bible teaches and we can know that we're a part of that New Testament church when we're obedient to the gospel plan of salvation and when we grow in that faith then in turn it removes all doubt and doubt fades away We can know that there's a home prepared for the righteous, and there's a home prepared for the wicked. 
and that people who are unfaithful to the word of God or never obeyed the gospel are going to have to face that place the Bible calls hell. We can know without doubt, we can know with certainty, these great Bible matters. Now, we want to study this particular matter more because doubt becomes such an important part in all of our lives that we want to deal with the doubt properly. And as I said a moment ago, it's not that it's all unhealthy. It can motivate us to do better. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about tonight how to deal with the doubt. And perhaps you're doubting just about something. It could be anything tonight. The thrust of our lesson tonight will be point three. How do we deal with the doubt? And the first thing that I think that we should consider carefully is find out the root of your doubt. Find where it is coming from. Is your doubt coming from your mind? Intellectual doubt. You know, I've often wondered about this. or I've, I know they say that, but I often wondered about that. Is it coming from the fact that you really don't know God's word? Well, we need to do something about that. We need to go to God's word and settle the matter. If you're doubting about the inspiration of the word of God, then there's ample material for us to go and find out about that matter. We are not left in the dark on God's word. And the best way to understand that matter is simply go to the word of God itself and study it carefully. Study it with an open mind. Look at the word of God and be receptive to the material that is found therein. If you want to know the contents of a bottle, you've got to get in the bottle to study it. And if you want to know the content of the Word of God, the Bible, you've got to get into the Word of God to learn it and study it. And you will find that that is a lifelong process and growing and studying and learning about God's Word. The more you study, the more intellectual doubt will be removed. Sometimes the root of that doubt will be our emotions, as I mentioned earlier. But we can't let that be the source of doubt. We must control that. On one occasion, I remember, I can't remember the state where it was, but um, it seems to me it was in the state of Tennessee, but I can't remember now. It's been so long since I read the story, how that uh, the uh, prison system there in Tennessee had actually pardoned an individual from uh, prison, and uh, only to turn out, as he was about to be released, that there was a mistake that had been made in the matter, and that he was not going to be released afterward, after all. Well, I'm sure he felt the joy of being released from the penitentiary. I'm sure he felt the joy and the adulation, I'm going to be out of here. But then, all of a sudden, all of that's taken away. When the facts are really known, he's not coming out. If his emotions were his guide, then naturally he felt as if he had freedom coming his way. But emotions can't be your guide. It's here one moment, and then the next moment it is gone. We must be guided by something far more objective. And so if you're trying to find out where the doubt is coming from, which is the first step in getting rid of the doubt, in handling the doubt. Find the root of your doubt. Is it intellectual? Is it emotional? Is it according to your will? Now, you and I read this passage this morning, and I'm going to turn back to it again tonight. It comes from Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, and I think it deserves repeating because this is the doubt that the children of Israel were having over the blessings of God, and they were beginning to doubt God. 
But yet Isaiah corrects them, and he says, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. It is the will, your desire to disobey God that's caused the problem. So here again, I look at Isaiah 59 and verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. In other words, it's not that God does, isn't capable of blessing you. It's not that. Or his ear dull that he cannot hear. It's not that God can't hear your prayers anymore. And they were wondering, why isn't God blessing us? Why isn't God hearing our prayers like he used to? But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Verse 2, the will of the people was what was creating the doubt. And so when I analyze this matter of my own doubt, I'm going to look at is it coming from the intellect? Is the doubt coming from my emotion? Or is the doubt coming from my will whereby I have been disobedient to God? If I have been disobedient to God, it's going to create doubts in my mind. It may do a lot of other things. It might prick and gouge my conscience. It might fill me with a lot of guilt. There are a lot of other things that sin brings with it. But one of the things that sin brings, and that is doubt, which is created in my mind when I do not obey or follow the will and the word of God like I should. And then I made the point that it's Satan naturally brings doubt in our minds. I've got to look to the root of the doubt. That's the first step that I've got to make. If you want to deal with doubt, <coughs> you've got to ask God to help. You ask God and others for help. And the Bible makes very clear that this is something that needs to be done. And in our text tonight, Mark chapter 9, the poor father of this young boy who had been demon-possessed, what does he do? He goes to Jesus for help. Uh, Jesus gives him a great lesson on faith there. And he admits his doubts. But he's saying... You know, I need help with this. Will you help us? And that really bespeaks the responsibility we all have. We need to go to God and ask God to help us in the matter of overcoming our doubts. And he will surely do that. I picked out a few verses tonight for us to study on this matter. And I want to turn to James chapter uh, 4 and verse uh, 2. And you may want to mark some of these verses or write them down as you have the opportunity to do so and then study them in the confines of your own home. But I'm looking at James chapter 4 and 2. Notice how he describes it here. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Many of the blessings that God has in store for us are forfeit simply because we do not ask for them and ask for God's help in the matter. One of the great ways to overcome doubt is to ask for God's help. And that was one of the reasons why I went to Genesis 32 this morning and Jacob wrestling with an angel. I think that's the pivotal point in Jacob's life where now he realizes, I can't do this all by myself. There's one greater than I. I need God's help. You and I need God's help in this matter. We need God's help in living the Christian life. We need God's help in being the kind of people Christ wants us to be. Turn to James chapter 1, verse 5. While we're in this passage and in this part of the Bible, I always turn to this because I, I really need this verse and I need to remember it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
Notice how he gives us a promise. If you ask for wisdom, God will give it. God's not going to scold you for asking for wisdom in your prayer, but he's expecting us to turn to him and ask him for these particular matters. And then there's always Matthew chapter 7, that passage we should never forget, and I I turn to it just briefly, though you and I have studied it a number of times, and, and I think it's such a valuable lesson talking about the persistence in prayer that God expects each of us to have. And as I've mentioned before, I think we should notice the verbs in the verse. Matthew chapter 7, and the verse is verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Notice what he's saying here. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to everyone who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now, I'll stop right there, though this is a wonderful paragraph to study But it is surely telling us, ask God for help and be persistent in this particular matter, in asking for help. And as I noticed on the the graphic that you have before you, not only ask God for help, but ask others for help as well. And the Bible is clear on that matter. In fact, back in James chapter 5 and verse 16, he talks about, the responsibility that we have to lean upon each other in these spiritual needs and in these spiritual matters. James chapter 5, he's talking about confessing our faults one to another. But in that instance, he's making it very clear that I need the help of one another. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Well, James 5 and 16 is trying to tell us how much we need each other. I need you to help me live the Christian life. And you need me to help you live the Christian life. If I have doubts, I'm going to pray and ask God for help. But I'm also going to ask you for help. Now, what that means is when the church comes together to worship God, you've got to be here. Now, if you heard a little emphasis in my voice, you're right. I'm emphasizing a point. It's not just a matter of saying you've got to attend, you've got to attend, you've got to attend. What is the matter is you need it. You need it. You need it. I need it. I need the help that other Christian people can give me. You need the help that I can give you. It is a reciprocal matter. If I have doubts... I'm going to ask God for help. If I have doubts, I'm going to ask you for help. Because there are mature Christians here who perhaps have gone through the very same thing. And they have experienced it and done so successfully. And now they're in a position to help me. And that's what I need. What a wonderful resource that is. That means I need to be at every Bible class that's offered with this congregation. Because in every Bible class, the Bible's opened up. It's not a mechanical matter of saying you just got to be here in order to get your card punched. It is a matter of saying you need the spiritual help that's available to you. Why would you absent yourself when there's help available in strengthening, encouraging, and overcoming the doubts that creep up in our life? That's why I need to be here. You need to be here. You need to be working with the saints and in fellowship activities. 
because it strengthens us, it helps us, it motivates us to overcome doubt. I need to find the root of that doubt. Where is it coming from? But then I need to ask God. And God will help me. He's promised he would. And you'll help me as we come together and worship and sing these beautiful songs and pray these fervent prayers together. The congregation is coming together to pray. And these prayers are being offered up to God. The congregation is coming together to worship. And this worship is being offered up to God. We're strengthening and encouraging each other as we come together. It'll help me overcome my doubt. How am I going to deal with this doubt? One of the things is I'm going to identify the course of treatment that I need in order to overcome it. Now, again, I make mention of the fact it could be an intellectual kind of doubt that I have uh, faced, and I overcome that by further study and growing in faith. Or it may be an emotional kind of doubt that I am facing, and so with those who are wiser and mature, mature spiritually, it's going to help me overcome these emotional kinds of doubts. Let's say that I have real doubts. I have real doubts about um, living life successfully before God. Living life successfully and being satisfied with myself and being satisfied as a child of God. Desiring to do the will of God. But I just have real doubts about that matter. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Identify the course of treatment here. Am I going to go to the psychiatrist? It may take you five or six years of going to psychiatrists to help you. Now, I've come across people that need that kind of treatment. They need that treatment. And my advice to them was to do that. And I didn't see any shame whatsoever in doing that. Or maybe it's a psychologist. Maybe you need to go to a psychologist because you have problems emotionally. And I have seen people that needed to do that. And I encouraged them to do that. But it may take you two years of therapy in order to accomplish what you need to accomplish. Or you could go to a good Christian friend and get the treatment with regard to doubt that you need and accomplish that in six months or less. Because that friend loves me and values me, and I am an important part of their life, and they want me to get rid of the doubt, and they're going to help me. I'm going to try to identify the course of treatment that I need. If it is a psychological type of problem that is of such a nature, you may need to seek psychiatric help. I wouldn't say no to that at all. If it is a type of psychological problem that you need professional help, it could be that a psychological type of counselor, such as a psychologist, might be needed. A professional type counselor might very well be needed. I wouldn't discount that at all. It could be, though, that your help would help me in maybe a third of the time as to what a professional like that would be doing. I have concern for you. You have concern for me. And we want to help each other. We have to identify the kind of treatment that would best remove our doubt. Now, when we're talking about doubt, who better to help me 
than a wise Christian man or woman in the church of the Lord? Who better to help me than some kind of person who has been faithful to the Lord all their lives, been obedient and studied very carefully the word of God, lots of experience, very mature, to help me in overcoming the problem that I might have with my doubt? Well, there's not a better counsel in the world than a good Christian friend who knows the word of God and helps me apply it to my life. You can be competent to counsel if you understand God's word properly and can help someone else apply it to their life. Maybe the will is the problem, and I'm just filled with such pride that I'm going to do this, and I simply can't stop doing it because I can't help it. I've got these doubts in my mind because my heart is filled with pride. And I simply will not release it. A good Christian friend can help me with that matter and help me get over the pride. A good Christian friend. Now let me explain something to you because I feel strongly about it. A good Christian friend is going to help you even when you're doing the wrong thing. Because that good Christian friend is going to say to you, Look, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. Let me help you out of this. I want you to be back on the right track once again. Even though it may not be what I wanted to hear, it is what I needed to hear. And a good friend will do that. A good friend will tell me what I need to hear, not just what I want to hear. And will help me out of my error and bring me back on the right way before God. That's what friends do. A friend is not a person who cuts you loose just because you've got a problem. Let's say I'm involved in a problem. Now nobody wants to talk to me because I've lost all my friends. Now they don't want to have anything to do with me. A good Christian friend will be the kind of person that will not condone your sin or your problem, but will help you out of that problem and encourage you, even though you're in the wrong. Look, I want to help you out of that. This is a better way. That's what friends do. It's not a good friend that just tells me what I want to hear over and over again and reinforce my problem. I need to identify the course of treatment. I also need to take care of my spiritual health. This is something I also feel strongly about. You know, they tell us regularly that we ought to um, eat the right things and exercise, take vitamins, and take care of our physical health. And all of that is good advice. And I encourage us all to do better on that matter. This body that I've been given is a temple of the living God. And I'm to use it for the glory of God. I am the messenger of God. I'm a servant of God. I'm a person who is to do the will of God. And I'm to use my body as long as I can for that, that purpose. And so I should take as good a care of this blessing of physical life as I can. But that's also true of spiritual health, that we need to work the same way. We need to read our Bibles so that we will grow in spiritual health. Now, I'm trying to deal with doubt here, and I see that one of the ways to deal with it is to care for my spiritual well-being, like I spend time taking care of my physical well-being. That will mean attending gospel meetings when gospel meetings come my way. That will mean attending special functions and activities which are designed to help me grow spiritually, not neglect them. 
to listen to lectures which somebody might give who happens to have spent a lot of time on a particular subject. When I'm doing this, maybe it means reading good Bible-related material. It might mean uh, pamphlets or a book or some kind of quarterly which would be of help to me spiritually to understand the Word of God better and to apply it to myself. What I'm doing on occasions like that is taking care of my spiritual health. I'm building myself a spiritual healthy life and I'm getting stronger and stronger because I'm reading and studying and researching and learning and trying to do all that I can do with regard to my spiritual health. That's how I'm going to deal with this doubt. Now it's not a problem in order to have doubts. It is a problem to let them go unchecked. I studied this particular passage. Notice in uh, Psalm, I believe I'll go to Psalm 34 here. I, I love to go to the Psalms and study these particular matters. God wants to help you, and he will help you if we turn to him. Psalm 34. Now, sometimes when you're reading the Psalms, it's hard to decide. Is he talking about himself? You'll see the first person singular used quite often. Sometimes the first person plural is used, and you don't know exactly if he's talking about himself or if he's talking about the nation or if he's talking about the priests or, or who it might be. And this is one of those psalms in Psalm 34. It's hard for him, me, to understand just exactly who's doing the talking here. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Though he has suffered greatly, verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Notice verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You see, I'm learning now how that God is concerned about me. Even though I might have fears, God will be there to help me. Verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. You and I studied on one Sunday a few Sundays back about fear and how we can overcome it. Though I might be a very poor man, God is there to help me in my troubles. This poor man cried, verse 6, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Notice the problems here, how God delivered him, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Now notice verse 8 and verse 9. Oh, taste and see, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. In other words, God blesses and cares for them. Well, what's his point? You see, see after your spiritual health. Turn to the Lord. Learn more about it. Learn more about God's care for you and for your life, and in turn, you'll realize just how much God does care for you and wants to help you. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, a New Testament passage that I saw that I think might help us in this particular matter, and I'll um, <clears throat> look at about verse 29. And not, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. And then this verse 33. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Well, now I know more about God's love for me and God's care for me. 
He is concerned about me personally, and I study that, and I develop in spiritual health, and I grow stronger, and I do away with the doubt. How am I going to handle this doubt? What shall I do? It's not necessarily wrong to have doubt. What's wrong is to let it go unchecked so that it, now it overtakes me. And here's a, something that an old gospel preacher told me years ago, and I, I found this to be a, a very helpful particular matter. And I pass it along to you. Hold some of your questions. Have we got questions? Yeah. But put them on the back burner. And then when you grow in faith, you'll be able to handle the answers when they come along. Sometimes questions will come up that we just don't know the answer to. Don't throw your faith away simply because you can't answer every question. Don't throw your hands up and quit simply because you have a doubt here and you don't know the answer to it. Hold that question. Put it on the back burner for a while. As you grow and mature as a Christian, you'll be able to come across the answer to that question. And that question will come back up in your mind. But now something will be said, or something will be read, or you will hear, or you will experience something that will help you with the answer to that particular question. Every question that I have is not answered right now. Every question that I have is not answered in the immediate future. There have been times, I assure you, which I stayed up all night wrestling with a question, working with it, studying the scripture, trying to find the answer. There have been questions that plagued me for a long period of time. Some of those questions I had to file on the back burner and wait for the right time for the answer to come through the scripture when I was prepared for that particular answer. And sure enough, the answer would come sooner or later. Some questions have never been answered in my mind. For example, I don't understand why Jesus spoke to the Syrophoenician woman the way that he did. I do not understand when I pray here and pray here that God said no. You know, it seems like to me God should have said yes. And in everything in my mind, this is the way to go, this is what I need to do, this is where I want to go. Why can't I go this way? And God was saying no. Now, it could be on the day of judgment and in eternity in heaven with God. I'll be able to raise my hand and say, Lord, can you send an apostle over here and help me understand something? I want to understand. I can't figure this out. Will you please show me this particular answer? Help me understand it. Maybe over there on life's other side, when I enjoy the glories of heaven, there with the redeemed of all ages, I can get all the answers that I have in my mind. But even if I don't in this life get all the answers, I'm not going to throw my faith overboard because of it. Just because I have a doubt about a particular matter that I really don't understand here, I'm not going to throw up my hands and quit Christ and quit God and say, look, I'm not going to have anything to do with you simply because my son or my daughter might happen to go through suffering or trial or my spouse, or some loved one, or some reversal in life. I don't understand this, Lord, and I'm praying for help, and I'm praying for help, and I'm not getting the answer that I want. Well, I'm not going to throw my faith overboard simply because I don't know the answer to that. Now, it may be on life's other side I'll have the opportunity to ask, but I may never get the answer here. And I have to put some questions on the back burner 
And I don't know all the answers. But I'm not going to give up on my faith. Simply because doubt crept up in my heart, in my mind, or my emotions. Or somehow Satan put some kind of doubt before me. I'm not going to say no to God. And I'm not going to say no to Christ. I'm going to continue to be faithful to them, even though I don't know all the answers. Because Christianity is based on faith. It is not an irrational faith. It is a faith that is supported by evidence. It is not a better felt feeling than told. But it is a faith in the character of God as to who he is and what he is. Faith in the Christ of God, that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God who died on the cross for the sins of the world, and that includes me. Faith and confidence in the Word of God, that even though I do not understand the answer, I know that answer is going to be found somewhere in here, and I'm going to study and study until I find the answer to my question. And if I never get the answer to that question, I'm never going to fall from my faith in God. If I know my own heart, if I remain true to him, I will never fall away, though I may be tempted. I know every one of us can fall away from the word of God. I know every one of us can be so tempted to fall from God's grace. I know that. But it is my desire and your desire not to let the doubts of life do that to me. I'm going to remain faithful. These are five suggestions on how to deal with doubt. And I tried to couch it in such a way that it would be easy for me to remember. And so I call it faith. Find the root of your doubt. Ask God and others for help. Identify the course of treatment. Take care of your spiritual health. Develop and grow. Then hold your questions. It may be you have to hold them for later, and it may be you never get the answer to the question. But have the desire in your heart to be faithful to God all the days of your life. If you've never been obedient to the gospel, I urge you to come tonight. Repent of sin. There in turn, confess your faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. Be added to the church of the New Testament. If your life's been filled with doubt and you let the doubt get the best of you, why don't you print pen of that tonight and become a faithful child of God once again? Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.